This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 570. And the quote of the day is, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 570, and I hope all's well in your world. We're starting to open up. Things are starting to maybe get a little bit back to normal with uh, with the coronavirus, but please, you know, stay safe, uh, stay well, take care of your your fellow friends and your family and your neighbors and and all of those sorts of things. And also, I want to quickly let you know that if you enjoy this podcast, if you could leave a rating or a review on iTunes, that would be great. That lets people know that they should be listening to this. And now, you know, when I started this in 2013, there was no competition. And now there's tons of other drumming podcasts out there. So I want to continue to remind people that, hey, this is, you know, this is the longest running. It's been going since 2013. The most episodes, the number one in the world. Let's let people know by by leaving a rating and leaving a review. I would appreciate that for sure. And that's all I got. So let's get into this conversation. This is with Chris Johnson. And this seeming this this conversation is actually split in two parts. And we didn't do it purposely. It's just the way that the conversation naturally naturally progressed. So the first half of the conversation, we talk really about the music business. We talk about how Chris got started, but then also how he's approached his music career. And we talk a lot about business and we talk about sort of the tenets of what really is needed to be successful in the industry, but also understanding that you have to stand up for yourself and you have to make sure that you're getting paid the right amount of money and and not just taking a gig because of the prestige. And you know, there's a lot of stuff that, that he unpacks that he's made decisions and he talks about why he's stop playing with Stevie Wonder and gigs that he's taken or turned down based on certain parameters that he has. So we really get into that a lot. And then in the second half of the conversation, we talk about systematic racism in this country and things that that maybe we have turned a blind eye to or that we didn't know about or some different things like that, uh, things that he's experienced in his life that maybe I haven't because I'm a white male. And that, and that part of the conversation for me is really interesting because I think it's important to have these conversations and I think it's important to to talk to your your fellow friends and, and brothers and sisters and, and people of other cultures and other races to understand what your situation is versus their situation so that we can both come to a better understanding. And some of these conversations are hard. And I mentioned that in this conversation, I said, you know, this is a, this is an awkward conversation to have with people, but it, but it needs to be had. So that's the second half of the conversation. So there's a ton of stuff in here. Uh, We go pretty deep at the end, at the end of the, at the uh, end of the conversation for sure. But again, a ton of great information. And I'm so thankful that Chris took the time to come on the podcast. He mentioned in here that he's not doing any more podcasts after this. So I appreciate that he came on and spent the time with me. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into it with Chris Johnson. Chris, my man, what's happening? Nick, what's popping, bro? Nothing. I caught you right in the middle of your of your. Uh, right in the middle uh, is of. Is it a, tea or coffee? It's coffee, man. One a day. That's it. One a day. That's it. There's something about uh, there's something about drummers and coffee. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we're all just high strung and we need to add more uh, caffeine to our lives or what it is, but there's very few drummers I've met that don't drink a, a lot of coffee. Yeah, it 
it was a late development though. Um, at first, it was kind of trendy, you know, like the whole Starbucks movement, right? Yeah. Um, then I start kind of getting into like nutrition and stuff like that, and and coffee, like, is just a natural caffeine uh, way to get your energy. You know, mm-hmm. it's a natural way. It's not um, what do they call it? Synthetic. Right. You know, and even in, with Starbucks coffee, it's like packed with so much sugar and caramel and syrup pumps and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I usually just do black with honey. And there you go. That's it. Yeah. I don't put anything in it. Just, just really straight black. black. Just black coffee. Yep. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't graduated to that yet. But, uh, you know, I, a nice little espresso, I'll put a little sugar in, but. Okay. I'll put a little bit in. So uh, so this is Coffee Talk. I thought you, you thought you were coming on to Drummer's Resource. Coffee but, Talk, bro. What's up? Coffee Talk. <laughs> <laughs> so what temperature? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I, I want to talk a little bit about um, about you growing up in Los Angeles. And I know that you got like you got an early start playing. But talk to me about growing up here. And is it always the mindset? Because I feel like if you if you grow up in in Los Angeles, you're like, I'm going to go in the entertainment business some one way, shape or form. I'm either going to be a musician or an actor or a producer or, or something like that. Was that something that you grew up with living out here? Um, you can say that, um, I, my dad was a pastor, right? Mm -hmm. Um, we lost him last year. God rest his soul. Sorry to hear that. Um, thank you. Um, we, um, grew up in a religious and Christian home. My dad sang my, um, my uncles all sang and played instruments. My brothers sang and played instruments. So it was some, it was something to that degree. It was kind of like we was, you know, blessed with these God-given talents and like in the heart of the entertainment industry, you know. So mm-hmm. acting, not so much. Um, like the big stage, not so much. I really just was uh, amazed by like just music and music composition, even though. Um, we only got to listen to when my dad was super strict, you know, we got only listen to like gospel music and mm-hmm. religious music growing up. So later on, you know, after growing up, moving out the house, it was like, wow, there's so much more music out here. Is that all you were listening to as gospel or were you like hiding like records under your bed and stuff? No, I, I would get to the point to where, um, like I would leave the house. I would get, I have a Walkman. Uh-huh um that's old school yeah we used to take um, we used to take tapes and get by like whatever like a country tape and then put other stuff on the top on top of it that was like parental advisory so our uh, parents uh, so they wouldn't get that smart because remember so you could smart. like record if you broke the tabs you could absolutely record over it. <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah yeah so yeah it wasn't until later you know just being very respectful and very chill and you know, I didn't want to be one of those trouble kids and I actually wasn't, you know, I just mm-hmm. basically waited my turn and relationships grew and met more people. Even my cousins were in the industry as well. So, um, Dave Foreman played guitar with, um, boys to men and Tupac and Aaliyah, you know, Timberland and mm-hmm. Missy and all of them, you know, all in the industry. My cousin, George Johnson, he played with, you know, Montel Jordan and Deborah. Um, Darius, you know, all of these other artists played with, he played with, um, I kind of grew up around and, you know, went to some of their rehearsals and stuff like that. So it kind of made it look attainable, 
you know, right. for me to be able to kind of break through in that industry. So, I mean, the rest is pretty much history, you know, just 20 years this year, actually, uh, as a uh, professional musician in Los Angeles. I think it's one of the things that you just said that that is important. And I think that we often devalue it is that you were seeing it happen for you for other people so you figured oh it's attainable because i think that if you don't see it happening you can tr- you can psych yourself out and be like oh i could never do that it's it's something that's out of the realm of possibility i don't know anyone who does that like if you grow up in and by no means am i saying that you had an advantage i'm saying like it's it's amazing what the power of the mind is though you, you well know? yeah th- but well that and and discipline uh mm-hmm. self-confidence um Sticking to your guns, basically, because there's a lot of drummers. Yeah. How did you develop that? How did you develop your your discipline and tons of drummers? I I I'll I'll get that to my mom. Yeah. I learned my discipline from my mom. My mom always states, um, you know, if you're not on time, you're late. Mm -hmm. You know, so that helped with my professionalism as far as uh, getting to places on time, looking the part, doing the things that I need to do to be able to. get things in order like being prepared like i can't get to a rehearsal at 12 o'clock and we start at 12. right you know, i gotta adjust my drums i gotta make sure things are good i gotta tune up i gotta you know like that kind of stuff she instilled in me a lot um even playing in church you know she was the choir director she wouldn't allow me to play like all that outlandish stuff mm-hmm. you know within the music <laughs> whatever you heard on the record that's what we wanted to hear you know right. that she she made that a a point as well. So I I definitely learned my discipline from from my mom in that regard for sure. And it mm-hmm. was more about um, accompaniment than about show. Like mm-hmm. you know it being a show like a showman. Right. You know. So definitely got that from my mom. I mean that's an that's that intangible thing of how do you know how do you know what play that's right for the song or. How can you feed your artistic creativity while while laying back or by while playing in the pocket instead of instead of just chopping all over something? Yeah. What what is it for you or or how do you how do you strike that balance of still where you don't feel like you're just a drum machine playing behind something, uh, but you're not you know you're not doing all this crazy backflips behind the drums. Um. Every. I, I've been blessed. I will say this. I've been blessed to be able to uh, play with two generations of musicians, right? So you got the Nate Watts and Eric Smith, um, Rob Bacon's, you know, all of these great, great, great OGs. And I've also played with a lot of the young cats as well, like the younger generation. So I've had the opportunity to see both sides. The younger generation likes it more spicy. Mm-hmm. They like a little <laughs> bit more. Yeah, they like a little bit more movement. The OGs like a little bit of less is more, you know. That's yep. that's their thing. So I've had the opportunity to gain both knowledgeable about both and getting inside of the um the place to where we can uh make things uh, mesh kinda. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how my style is, um, is and was developed, you know, just grew first and gradually get into some nice t- 
tasteful things like anything more than uh than a, a, a two beats or three beats like a fill or something like that is it i i equate is it like a solo mm-hmm. like that's a solo moment for a drummer which is not necessarily needed unless it's your own music you know if it's your record and that's what you're doing and these are the things that you come up with then cool right but you know accompanying an artist or playing behind an artist you know you gotta pretty much have a mind of like a machine mm-hmm. and i don't mind it because you know it's for the greater good the greater cause you know of music you know everybody playing together sounding like one not getting in the way of the vocalist or the artist or whoever is out front mm-hmm. you know i've i've learned to kind of be that guy and i'm i don't mind right i don't mind that at all I, i've talked about it a lot on the podcast and about sort of playing for the internet and playing for music. And I don't necessarily have a problem with it either way. I I think where, where the, uh, where the problem that I see is that like you grew up playing with people and like playing music with people on a bandstand or in a rehearsal room or whatever. And I think the problem is if you sit at home and just shed all day and just put video like solo videos of yourself out on, on Instagram, then you get into a band setting and you don't know what to do. And I think that people kind of give me, give me uh, shit about that. I'm always harp or like, I'm always harping on Instagram drummers. I'm like, no, that's not, that's not exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that you're not being prepared for the real world. If you really want to work in music. Yeah. You, uh, another unique situation for me, like growing up in, in the church I had my home church. I only was able, I, I only played with my uncle and he played guitar. Mm-hmm. So my very first gig was um, with an artist called Donnie McClurkin, mm-hmm. gospel artist. And that was my first time playing with an, like an organized band, like two keyboard players, guitar, bass, um, drum machine, you know, full vocalist, like six, seven, eight vocalists, you know. Right. Like that was my first time. So coming out of playing just with my uncle and he plays guitar straight to a stage with full band. Um, I didn't have to know how to do that because like I said, my mom already instilled that in me, you know, growing up with just a two piece. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So when I got to the, the stage, I was of course nervous and it was unfamiliar territory. So the safest thing for me to do was to, just chill, play the part, and be done. Mm-hmm. Like unbeknownst to me, like I didn't know that that was going to be the formula for like actually working in right. your entire career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just, I just did what I felt, and if the artist wants more than what I'm giving them, then they're they of course speak up and say what they got to say. And mm-hmm. if I'm able to 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 do it, if I'm able to play, if I'm able to um interpret it well enough and they cool with it then cool well we chill if there's something i need to work on i have to you know humble myself and get things together you know get it together with you know in the shed room where i go to my cousin's house and you know like i want to work on more because you know i'm a left-handed player so mm-hmm. i play open-handed and it it came different to me because i was everything was to my left everything was my left strong hand so you know, it was, it was a, it, it took work, put it that way. Me being in LA was no advantage. Yeah. It was no advantage only because there were people 
moving from everywhere back, you know, from back east, Chicago, Atlanta, Texas, you know, all of these different cities and, mm-hmm. you know, different countries and everybody out here. And, you know, a black drummer moved from London and, you know, just because of his accent, they want to be down. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah he's from London. <laughs> you know, I, I just had to wait my turn. You're like, is he talking on stage or is he just playing drum? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, whatever. It's like, whatever. It was like the new but, kid that came into school. Like, all the girls wanted to talk to him because just because he was new. Just because he was new. You know right. what I mean? So there's certain things that I just had to, you know, I couldn't force. You know, and it was moments where I didn't feel, you know, encouraged to even pursue this anymore. You know, really? it was like, yeah. You know, it was Talk like. Talk about a, that a little bit. Yeah. Coming out of high school, I played all through, as a kid, man, played all through school. You know, and want to go to college, Berkeley to be specific. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how they do; they offer you the scholarship, but you got to get your own room and board. Right. You got to uh, find your way there. You know, you got you know all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my parents it was a a, a catch twenty two because my parents made too much on paper; they made too much money for me to even qualify for that. And then. The second thing was, you know, that we honestly could not afford it, right? you know, for me to go. So I went and got like a little security job, made some good money, bro. Like made yeah. some real, real good money. Um, worked a couple of jobs, actually, and didn't touch drums for like a couple of years until, you know, my cousin was like, yo, I got to go do this thing. He asked me to sub for him on this one gig. It was the Donnie McClurkin gig. And I told him, I was like, I haven't played drums in like two years. Right. So I'm not sure if I, he was like, man, don't worry about it. Like, you'll be fine. You know, and like, and that's how I kind of got back into playing. And then that what was What made like, you not want to, not want to pursue drums? Was it because you couldn't go to Berkeley or you just felt like there was too much competition or? <laughs> it was a lot of competition. And then with the competition that was even out there, um, it was more about me not even playing up to that level, me mm-hmm. thinking that I have to be at a certain level to be able to work. Right. For right. instance, Dave Weckl and Dennis, uh, not Dennis Chambers, Ricky Lawson mm-hmm. are two different players. Right. Sure. But but they at the same level in, in caliber of work, mm-hmm. you know, so. I didn't I didn't look at it that way. I only looked at it like this is what's attractive to the industry and I am not quite there yet. Got For you. one, I took two years off. Two, you know, it's gonna take a bunch of, you know, super over practicing and this, that, and the third to be able to get to the to that point. And um I just had to do it. It was like muscle memory, getting back into the groove and just like, you know, a little bit of being nervous and not wanting to play nothing outlandish, you know, just mm-hmm. sticking to the trifecta as i call it you know and all of that stuff man it's what's the trifecta kick snare hat bro yeah <laughs> kick snare hat that's it i think i've oh, I, I had a shirt on never mind my shirt yesterday said kick snare hat on it dope i, I love that's it. what's that's what's gonna get it done it doesn't matter what what you play like if if you're because i you know i'm in my studio right now and like in you know recording you know i have these 17 inch hi-hats mm-hmm. and sometimes i don't even crash i just open a hi-hat on right the one you know what i mean like it doesn't even 
you don't really need anything else other than kick snare hat. Mm-hmm. Listen to any song that's produced, even uh programmed, is kick snare and hat. It's gonna be a kick, a snare, clap, snap or something, rim shot, and a hi hat. You yep. know what I mean? Like so that's what I call the trifecta. Like if you got that down, you good. Know, Nothing else it. really matters, you know. I I'm with you. I'm with you. Like I've always I've just always been a I mean, in fact, I I for two years uh I was in a band and I felt like I was overplaying. So I just stripped it down and I brought a kick and a snare and a hi-hat with me. Yes. And was like, just make it work. Yes, you know? absolutely. absolutely. And you can get you can get really creative once you once you limit all of your uh your options and you're confined into a little into a little space, you know? Yeah. Really. And it's and it, it opens your mind up, it broadens your 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 horizon. Mm-hmm. It gives you a different look yeah. at at the groove. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm big on groove, bro. Like mm-hmm. super big. And when it's when it's right, you don't need to move. Yep. I mean, yep. when it's right, you you don't need nothing else. It's so funny. Like we all know the answer, right? Like it's play in the pocket, play the groove, don't overplay, don't do all this flashy stuff. And then we get behind the kit and it's like, we forget all that and our sticks start flying everywhere. So like, what's your, what's your advice to people who have that problem who are like, I know it's all about the groove, but I get behind the kit and I turn into, you know, a guy that looks like he has nine hands. Um, that's just discipline, bro. Like that's just the mind, your mind playing tricks on you. Like you, if you can't help yourself, that's like, um, you know, I'm 350 pounds and mm-hmm. I go to the store and I buy donuts. Right. Or I buy, you know, I'm eating fried foods and stuff like Like, I, I know I can't live a good life eating that way or treating my body that way. Like, mm-hmm. so look at it like that as music. Like, if you can't discipline yourself to just be a part of a movement, then you're not going to last. And then you're going to be mad that somebody else is doing it or you get fired or, or people are not calling you is because you're not doing what what's actually required, you know, for you to be able to sustain yourself on that. So it's like, mm-hmm. okay, okay. So what are we actually doing here? Right. You know what I mean? So like, I'm one of those that I take pride in preparation, you know, so if I prepare, if I practice pocket, if I practice um, groove, if I practice the bare minimum, like, cause it could be anything. Um, it could be if that's the groove, that's if that's what it is. I like, I don't want to work that hard. Uh-huh. You know, the, the rates aren't what they used to be. I'm not getting paid $10,000 <laughs> a week. Right, you know not getting paid saying? by the so note either. I'm not getting paid by the note, so it's like, okay, well, why don't I just play what's required, get my check, go home and support my family? Mm-hmm. Like, why do I want to endanger that? Like, this is the dream for most people. You know, most people dream of of a life of touring and dream of a life of traveling and playing for particular artists. Man, like, why would I want to mess that up because of my ego? Right. You know, because that's pretty much what it is it's like i've heard drummers say you know you don't pay me enough to tell me how to play or you don't have the experience to tell me how to play like 
you're you're a brand new artist. You don't even really know anything. Like you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. And, yep. and and people are always watching. People are always listening. You never know who's watching you. You have to be that example. You know what I mean? For the next generation and the people that are watching and looking looking at you. And it, it don't even really have to be other drummers or musicians. It could be people in management. You know, somebody that that licensed music or shoots commercials or, you know, it could be anything. It's like, I really like his attitude. You know, I want to work with him on this particular project or this particular project. And like I said, that's how it just steamrolls. It, it, it steamrolls. Yep. The relationship game, it just comes it just comes from out of nowhere. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? When you were talking about the the preparation and are you doing what you what you need to be doing, it always reminds me of the quote: "Everyone wants to be everyone wants to be the noun, but no one wants to do the verb." So they want to sit around and say, "I'm a professional drummer," but they don't want to actually do what's required to be a professional drummer. And I've always thought that there's a big distinction there. Like if you're if you want to be a writer, you can't just call yourself a writer if you don't write. It's very you know? true. So it's always uh, that that distinction has always resonated with me. Um, so speaking of touring, you have uh, you have a unique perspective. I remember reading something about um, how, you know, at the end of the day, this is a business and and that a lot of times falls by the wayside or people don't think about it or people don't talk about it. Um, how do you how do you explain that to to younger players or people who don't have their heads around the business side of the of the game? <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Sure. Um, I would say you, you got to separate it early. Okay. Cause business has nothing to do with, and we'll talk about this later, but I'll just kind of bring it up. Mm-hmm. When we talk about endorsing a particular company, that's a business transaction, right? Mm-hmm. That's a business deal. You play their product. You, you, uh, help them get exposure to their product. They sell the product, and that's the deal, right? Mm-hmm. I have to separate the business of that from personal. So the personal side of me wants all of my companies to support Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want all of my companies to uh, support and be awakened to what's happening to the black community right now. Like I would want that. I can't depend on them to do that because they are business first Mm -hmm. and they don't mind telling you that when it comes to a gig, you go to rehearsal. If you haven't talked about it before, you know, you get your contracts, your rates and everything together and you, you, you go as such like you determine what is good for you. And then you stick to that. Like some artists, um, pay is not good, but they'll be like, um, but you can come to all the parties that I have. You can anything where I'm at, you can come like days off to rent out a whole bowling alley or come to my hotel room and we can chill like that kind of stuff is um, is kind of substituted for like the rate. Mm-hmm. And then some people grasp onto emotion like the first big gig i had was stevie wonder so it was um as far as i was concerned i could have got paid 500 dollars. yeah you know it it was a stevie wonder you know Mm -hmm. like who's gonna like let go of that opportunity right like to have i pay to play for stevie wonder (laughs) you know what i'm saying 
but at a certain degree, it's still a business. He still runs a business. I'm getting paid a rate for doing a job and mm-hmm. getting hung up on the 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 how I feel personally about him and his music, then I would be sacrificing myself, you know, versus being happy and being comfortable with, you know, a comfortable rate and, you know, supporting my family. So you're that, saying that a lot of people or, or some sometimes people are like, I just really like the artist and I want to work for him. So they sell themselves short and take less money to work. For a- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to learn how to um, separate those two instances. Like, you know, you so how do to- we how do we how does everyone band together and say, look, I'm not going to go out on tour for three hundred dollars a week. You know what I mean? Like and it happens because they're like, oh, you don't want to do it. We'll get someone else to do it. And somebody else will take the gig. The, the reality is is I don't I don't see that ever happening. Nobody yeah. is ever going to no band is ever going to come together and say we're not playing. And when they did, uh, I hear stories all the time about Sting and Omar Hakim and all those guys were making pretty much 5 grand a show. Mm-hmm. This is uh, this isn't fact checked. Right. But this right. is a great this is a great example of what I'm talking about. Um they asked for a raise. They was getting $5,000 a show and they was playing five nights a week. Um, if you add that up, that's $25,000 a week. Right. Okay. Five in five days. Five In five days. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So they wanted more money. Mm-hmm. They wanted a raise. Um, Sting said no. And he went out on the stage with his acoustic guitar and did the show. <laughs> and it was almost like I don't mean to laugh, but geez. No, crazy. no, seriously. Yeah. Nobody even missed the band. Right. Why? Why? Because it's not about the band. It's about the artists. It's about them and what they want. So knowing all of these things, how selfish these artists are, they're gonna try and cut corners as much as they can. It's more about the creative and wardrobe and production than actual sub- substance of the show which is the music mm-hmm. um knowing all of these facts it's a business transaction no matter who it is rihanna j-lo camila cabello lady gaga you know seal any of them mm-hmm. you know and and people call me all the time be like man you quit the stevie wonder gig i'm like yes i did only because i was losing I was yeah. playing with Stevie Wonder, but I wasn't getting paid. No, I wasn't getting paid like Stevie. Right. You know, I wasn't getting no extra, you know, two and three, four grand because we playing a stadium this particular night when all the other shows were in arenas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, you have to learn how to separate the two. And when I did, it, it came to me a little bit more clear. And like, this business, there is no friends. It's called music business, not friend business, you know, mm-hmm. like so knowing those things, I, I learned it kind of early. I was a little naive, the early part of my career, obviously. But um, when it came down to it and I understood it differently at a certain point, it was like, ah, got you. Mm-hmm. I understand now this is a transaction. So if there's a better situation for me. I'm going to take that situation. I'm going to be integral about it. You know, I'm not, I've, I've jumped ship in the middle of tours before. 
but it was um it was for good reason it was for my comfortability it was for my own uh sanity and everything else i i made sure i fulfilled my obligation i made sure if i did leave there was somebody in place i kept the lines of communication open mm-hmm. i didn't flip over the drums in the middle of a show and walk out right you know it it wasn't anything like that it was like okay look this is not a good situation for me right now um i really you know i apologize if this is you know keeping you in a bind or p- putting you in a bind but i gotta go like right. i can't do this this is what's right. wrong you promised this you said was this it personnel was, was it money was it? it it was a conglomerate of things and it's different for every every gig right you know like i said you could take it real personal like how many of these artists actually reached out to their bands knowing that these tours were going to get canceled and knowing that the tours were canceled right. you know did anybody reach out and say um you know we have this whole tour plan rehearsals were supposed to start for me march 16th right you Which know is the, like the heat of it all the stay at home order was implemented on the, the 13th the 13th or something yeah. 12th 12th or something like that so it was like um Nobody reached out. Nobody was concerned about me and my family then. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So that puts it in perspective. It's like they don't care about you and your family. They care about their business. They care about their show and everything else. So if I do anything, I'm going to ask. That's something I'll tell young drummers. Ask all the questions. Ask all the questions. Any question that you think of, ask it. How much is the rate? Like, can I get paid through my business? Um, if it's a if you're negotiating a low rate, then let me get let me get paid through my business. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's a rate that I think is feasible and and we can do, you know, then let's do it. Either why way, do you want to get paid, why do you want to get paid through your business? Well, if you get paid through a business, they don't take the taxes out, and you can just pay the taxes at the end of the year. You know, versus and and or write off you know, everything that you've done under that business as an expense. So um, hotel room, uh, like you paying your incidentals, you can write that off. Any any clothes that you buy is a wardrobe Mm write-off, so on and so forth. So um, how much is per diem? Am I sharing a room? That's a a deal breaker. If I'm sharing a room, I can't do it. Right. Um, Am I using my own gear? If I am using my own gear, can we negotiate a rental fee? Because if I don't use my own gear, you're going to have to rent a drum kit from Center Staging or or SIR for $350 a day or something like that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, ask all the questions and get everything out in the open and then make your decision. You know, like, don't make your decision just because of the hype of the gig or because you of who it is. Right. There's I think a lot of young drummers are scared to like to to ask too much because then they're going to say, you know, what, we're just going to go with somebody else. No, no. And, and and then it wasn't meant for you. Right. Then it wasn't meant for you. Maybe there was something in that situation that could have turned you out. Yeah. Could have set could have set you back, you know, two or three years or you develop a habit around those certain people. Like I'm on a wave now to where and and. I'll just let you know, this is probably the last podcast that I'm going to do um, for right now. Um, my main well, I focus, appreciate you. I, I appreciate yeah, you. My, my main focus is my community, um, trying to get a hold of 
the community and educate them on this police brutality and racism and all of this other stuff that's happening um, right now. So I am not focused on playing drums. I'm not Mm -hmm. focused on posting drum videos. I'm not focused on any of those things anymore until I feel more comfortable with how things are rolling within the world because Mm -hmm. everything is, is, is smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Right. So we think that life is about drums. Like I thought I was put on this earth to play drums. You know, I wasn't, you know, I was put on this earth to actually help somebody and impart some type of wisdom or knowledge to where they can navigate through life, not drums. Mm -hmm. Right. So when it comes to, you know, being on tour, like lately, um, I pack a bag as small as a backpack and a little carry-on. Like, it's not about drums anymore. I go and do a job, and then I go and try and help somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, so it never was about trying to hang out, trying to do all of that stuff anymore. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm off that wave. I'm off that page. I want to actually help somebody. And as it's going now, touring is not in the foreseeable future for anyone at this moment mm-hmm. you know so sometimes we we get caught up in that and we hold on to certain things because of we're we're hanging on hope but our purpose is actually we're trying to figure that out right now in this time like and i, I would advise any musician any person in the you know professional field music industry wherever to find out what that purpose is find out what that purpose is and that'll put you in better positions to be able to fulfill that purpose Mm -hmm. so which which brings me to the point of like all of the gigs that i've ever had i've always been i've always tried to be like a positive influence either on the artist or the band itself you know i wanted to say you know in that entity when when bands come together and like well this is what we want you know we demand more pay or we demand this and we it'll never get to that point and you always got to go in knowing that you're going to be the only one that's talking and speaking up for that matter. That's always been me. I've always been in that position. There's times where I've um, had to speak up in rehearsals. Like mm-hmm. I've been rehearsing for almost 10 hours with no break. The artist comes in all of a sudden and want to run through the show when it's time to go. Right. Like I've had to speak up. I love what I do. Like I, I enjoy what I do, but I'm not like a, I'm not a robot. It's not mm-hmm. automatic. Every time we do a run through or we do a song, I'm giving a hundred percent. That's what I'm paid to do. Right. Plus, I love to play drums, so why wouldn't I? You know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. I've been the one to speak up and say something. And then, you know, we sitting around the lunch table or whatever, and everybody's like, "Man, thanks for speaking up for us." It's like I actually spoke up for me. Like you can go and speak for yourself if you want to. And I always negotiate my own deal. I don't package no deal with with no band and other bandmates or or anything else. No, I don't. I don't. No, that's not my steez like that. I I want my own voice heard, because if we do it together, then we're going to lose together. Right. If you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Do you do you see maybe a career change or maybe following in your in your father's footsteps or or 
I mean, you seem you seem to have a, a natural leadership ability about you, and there are things that are that are important to you, uh, and rightly so. Do you think that there there will be a different direction that you head in? Um, I just think the focus has changed. I I don't know about a different direction because I'm still doing sessions, mm-hmm. um, working on my my uh, debut album. Nice. Uh, I've been doing a lot of production collaborating with a bunch of uh other producers and and stuff like that i'm still working i, I still love music i still like and love to play mm-hmm. um but that's not the focus i understand now that that's not why i'm here on the earth because that's what i understood it as right. i understood that i'm i'm here to play drums i'm here to make people dance i'm here to make you know create the beat for people to feel good and yes that may be the case in in certain cases but Overall, you know, 10, 15 years from now, probably won't be touring. Right. You know what I mean? Too old. Mm-hmm. Can't tour forever. You know, but what you can do is 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 leave a proper example. You know, leave a, a nice little stamp on the earth to where people is like, wow, he really was a good dude. And he played drums, too. Like, he was mm-hmm. pretty good at playing drums, too. Like. Everything serves its purpose. I wouldn't I wouldn't be as cultured as I am if I wasn't able to play drums and travel the world. Like I was able to see places that my parents never saw or never right. will get to see. My mom is still here, but she's never been out of the United States. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've been I've been around the world almost six times. You know what I mean? Like th- that's a blessing. That is. And and, and able to see another perspective. You know, another thing I would tell young drummers is, is you have to be okay with you not being a professional musician. Like if you if if you can come to grips with that, if you can be settled on that fact, like I may not be able to become a professional musician, but I love to play. You know, there's uh, I got an Uber one time and and you said my father's footsteps like a preacher. No. I don't want to become a preacher because um, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that. And I believe also that the name or the the, the title preacher has such a, a, a wide and negative um, and hypocritical, you know, indentation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just so I'm higher and I know more than you and you should listen to me. Right. Like I don't ever want to approach it that way. And I'm not saying my dad did, but I'm just saying like becoming a preacher or or anything like that. I don't see I don't see myself doing that mm-hmm. uh, leadership for sure. I'm going to have to just accept it. You know what I mean? I understand what it means to be a leader. I understand that all leaders aren't even perfect. All leaders don't know everything, which is why I'm continuing to be a student of life, you know, not mm-hmm. just drums. You know, not just music, you know, of life, you know, learning every day, learning every day, something about myself that I can improve, on. you know, mm-hmm. and, and and if I keep working at it and I'll become a pretty good person and people will always, you know, want to be knowledgeable about the things that I'm doing or or like I've seen him do that before. Let me pick his brain. Like, I feel like consultations are dope. I feel like clinics are dope. I feel like master classes are dope. I feel like drum lessons are dope, but it's so uh, surface. 
mm-hmm. you know, nobody really dives into like um, the physical aspect of playing drums. Like you got to actually be in a good mental space, you know, because some people are really dying because they can't go on tour or people are, you know, drinking themselves or creating these habits because they can't get, you know, to that dream that they see somebody else doing. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've seen um, and read articles and, you know, captions of like, is this really what you're supposed to be doing? Like, are you following somebody else's dream just because you see them following it? Right. You know, or we've identified it when we were 17 and now maybe even our our priorities changed or we're still holding on to this because that's the only thing that gives us value. But we're really like, this isn't working for me, but I no, still got to do this because what's anybody what's everyone else going to think if i'm like hey i'm not going to try to pursue this thing as a dream they're like oh well then you failed right and it's you know everybody you know you can pick a drummer it's like dang i want to play with ricky lawson like ricky lawson's gig one day like i want to play with sting one day Ooh, i want to play with name them you know what i mean Mm -hmm. michael jackson i want to play with janet i want to play with but what if that's not what you're supposed to be doing how do you know the answer to that you don't you don't. And that's why it, it should. That's not the focus. Like, I've, I remember having a conversation with an Uber driver one time. And he's like, man, you look like you're in the entertainment industry. I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm a professional drummer. I'm way to the airport. You know, he's like, wow, you play drums? Like, yeah. He's like, man, I got a drum set at my house, man. It's collecting dust. And I said, well, but do you still play? I was like, I said, do you, do you still love it? Do you, you want to play? He's like, man, I absolutely love it. He said, I just, I had to focus on something different. I said, okay, well, why can't you do both? And he was like, what do you mean? I said, okay, cool. All right, after you drive me off at the airport, how much longer are you going to drive? Maybe about another hour or so. I said, okay, go home, play some music. And like creatives have to have an outlet, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have to, you don't have to, play in a 25,000 seater arena to feel fulfilled by playing drums. You understand what I'm saying? So you can, you can do, you can be an Uber driver. You can be a FedEx delivery guy, or you can work for Amazon or whatever, but you can still play your instrument. You can still let your creative juices flow and you can still get your, get your rocks off in a sense. Right. But that doesn't mean your focus has to be there. Your time, energy, and effort, you know, just play like an hour a day. We play, mm-hmm. play once, one, once or twice a week. You yep. know what I mean? Like, let let that love of that instrument drive you to your purpose, because that's basically what it is. And if you don't know your purpose, you know, I would suggest that you figure that out, because you're gonna rack yourself crazy, and you're gonna go nuts over following a dream that maybe you're not supposed to actually be doing, and that that's probably not even your dream. Yeah. I remember having a conversation with uh, with Stevie Ron or fr- Stevie Ray Bond's drummer uh, uh, Chris Layton from Double Trouble, and he was like, "Yeah, uh-huh. he, like it's like I played in Stevie, you know, with Stevie Ray Bond my whole career, or Stevie Ray Bond's whole career, I should say." Uh, and he's like, "You know, I've been playing since I was 18." He's like, "Or, you know, I've been playing professionally since I was 18." And yeah, this is this is what I do, but it's not who I am. There's a lot yeah. of other things in my life that it's not it's not just everything isn't just drums, 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 drums. And I think that that's a, I think that's a toxic way of looking at things too, where it's like, if it's not drums, it's not important or, or I can't do that or, or, 
you know, I, I, can't, I shouldn't waste any time on that. Or I think it just needs to be, especially if you're not doing it professionally, like it just has to be part of what you do. It can't be, can't be everything. Yeah. And that, and that's where I'm at right now. It's, it's, so it's no, no offense to anyone, anybody listening, like that's the wave I'm on. I'm not saying that it's, that it's for you to follow that wave. I'm just saying it's, <laughs> it has to be another reason why we're here on this earth. It's not playing drums. Mm-hmm. It's not playing your instrument. Let that be the vehicle. Uh, let's just say you are, you know, playing on stages across the world for thousands and turns into millions of people over the, the length of your career. And it's like, well, what do you feel inside? Like, how do you feel about life? Do you have a family? Do you want a family? You know, what are you going to teach your kids? Like, what are, what are the, what are the entities of your life other than music? What do you, what else do you enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. Like I can, I can hold a conversation with, anybody bro anybody about mm-hmm. anything across the world bro and it and that's what i love about it because i'm i'm kind of leaving a positive influence and it may be small to some but it's it's large and it's big so who knows if the uber driver you know went back and started practicing drums again mm-hmm. you know i've know. gotten D, you know i've gotten dms and on, on Instagram just saying, you know, like you said something that made me want to pick my instrument back up. And I'm saying right. that's what it's about. Yeah. You got a job and, and truth truth be told, $15, $16 an hour constantly 365 days of the year is better than a six-month tour. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're just putting things in perspective. Yeah. You, you know mentioned about... Like, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it could be it could suit your yourself and your well-being better than being on tour and being mm-hmm. smart with your money and learning how to budget and all of these different things like there's so much more to life than just music. Do you know why when you tune a drum you're supposed to go diagonal across the drum? That's because your drum is flawed. I hate to break it to you, but your drum is flawed because of the way that the edge is. The typical edge doesn't allow the drum head to sit on it properly. So when you tighten down one lug, it causes the drum head to shift and pop up on the other side. That's why you have to tune it diagonally. But now with the new Sonicleer Edge from Mapex, that's a thing of the past. The Sonicleer Edge allows the head to sit flush. So it promotes ease of tuning, increased shell resonance, and optimal tonal clarity. So you're going to have to do a lot less work and get a lot greater sound. To learn more about the Sonicleer Edge, go to mapexdrums.com. Hey, do yourself a favor and check out Promark's Select Balance Drumsticks. These sticks give players the ability to fine-tune their standard stick model to fit their playing style. Let me give you an example. If you play rock or country or metal, check out the Forward Balance. These are front-weighted and give you enhanced power and speed. If you are playing jazz or funk or gospel, then check out the Rebound Balance. These are rear-weighted and gives you more finesse and more agility. Plus, they're made by Promark, which you know you're going to get a quality product because they control the entire process from the forest to the finished drumstick. Plus, they're paired by pitch and by weight, so there's zero guesswork when you're grabbing that stick out of your stick bag. Do yourself a favor. Check them out by going to Promark. 
Com. You had mentioned about, okay, this is the impact that, that I may have had on this Uber driver or this person or that person, and it may be small, and but it's not insignificant. There's a video – actually, I just saw it yesterday. It's with, um, with Oprah, and she's talking about legacy. And her legacy, or she was like, you know, she built this school and she was like, this is going to be my greatest legacy. And Maya Angelou was saying, look, your legacy is not like these big, these big grand gestures. It's the individual people that you touch throughout your life. So if it's one person here and one person, if you can do that every single day, that's the legacy you leave. And it can be, it doesn't have to be this huge grand gesture of donating a million dollars or building a school. It's touching one person you know, or two people at a time and you stretch that over your whole life, that's your legacy. Man, I, I'm not mad at that concept at all. I like it too. At all, at all. So you had mentioned earlier um, that you want to be a voice for police brutality, Black Lives Matter, um, and equality in this country. What is what What is your stance of how we can start to have this dialogue and how do we start to make it better in this country? Because as, as a white male, uh, I've never experienced that. Right. So I've never experienced racism uh, towards me. I've never, I've never experienced prejudice towards me. Um, and naively I grew up in a, I grew up in a, in a, uh, a town of 750 people graduated from my high school and there was, it was probably 45% white 45% black and 10% other right and so i didn't even realize how bad things were until i got out of high school and then i was like oh cuz everyone got along in high school um and then it's easy for me as a white male to go out into the world and say oh these things don't exist prejudice doesn't exist or 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 uh stereotypes and all these other things which is completely false how do we open up that dialogue like how do we how do we start to get on the path of, of making it better in this country? Uh, from my side of it, um, I just believe it's, well, I, on both sides, I think it's about education. Mm-hmm. And when I say education, I don't mean um, going and enroll in a black history course of lies. Right. Y- you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, first of all, like, let's just be logical um, if you've never experienced racism before, that's probably because you are white. Mm-hmm. Um, and coming from, I've a seen place, it. I've seen it. Not towards I, me is what I'm I, saying. I'm yeah. I'm sure you've seen it, but yeah. but when I'm, it's different to experience. Sure, it's it's very different. You know, like being, you know, the pandemic happening first, shutting everybody down to sit everybody down to open their eyes and understand what's actually going on in the world, right? So they take touring away. People are losing jobs. You know, now the, the whole entertainment industry is crushed. If you didn't have something set up already, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you already can't work. So now it's in everybody's sight line. You know, you, you can't even avoid it anymore. Of course you see it. Of course you notice it. Of course you understand the undertones. Of course, if there's you know, a line of 10 people and I'm at the front of the line and there's somebody behind me, you know, that's white getting impatient and like want to skip the line. Like that's the type of shit that happens. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's so small and it, just like 
why do you feel like you should have more, you know, privilege than anybody else? Mm-hmm. And me learning and educating myself about even my people and educating myself about the world and how it's it's built off of wealth. It's all about money. You know, mm-hmm. slaves came over, built the country for free, basically. Mm-hmm. And the slave owners and white people profited off of it. And then they say, OK, we abolished slavery, but now um, we're going to implement this prison system. You know, so now everybody that finds a prison, you know, is is aiding and abetting in this whole slavery campaign is that's still happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like it's just in another light for for my white people. I would say educate yourself. Everything is on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Everything's on YouTube. They have books about everything. I wouldn't say. How do you separate uh, the truth from the from or the wheat from the shaft, so to speak, right? Like there's a lot of conspiracy theories and there's like, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you find the truth? Think logically. Think, Mm -hmm. think like you have common sense, right? Uh, For example, Christopher Columbus. Did he actually discover America? No. Okay. Now you recognizing that, acknowledging that is the first step. Right. So you do understand that they came over here and killed a whole bunch of people, raped them, integrated slaves with the indigenous people and called them black or African-American. And if somebody the other day I was watching, they were saying that if we are African-American, then why do we need a passport to go to Africa? Right. Africa, America is not an actual place. You right. know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm so, Italian. They call me Italian-American. Whatever you want to call it, you still need a passport to go to Italy. I do. Okay, so that doesn't make any sense. You want to be just think logically when it comes to certain things. Okay, like why is there um, stipulations, loopholes, and all of these other things for criminals that are black versus criminals that are white? Just think mm-hmm. logically about it. And and the only thing that I could think of is just that we are the oppressed people. You know, Mm -hmm. we are the people that that are looked down upon, but most attractive. You know, we're 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 good enough to entertain you. We're good enough to play sports. We're good enough to sing. We're good enough to produce. We're even good enough to sit in the in, in the in the corporate offices to show a little diversity. Mm-hmm. But we all know we, we all understand what it is. You know, we don't want we don't want Black Lives Matter to come beating down our door. So we'll hire a black VP. Right. You know what I'm saying? Which like, to me is like even it's even a bigger sign of disrespect. That's what I'm saying. So just open that. The first thing is opening your eyes and thinking logically. Just think, think about any instance that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, any instance. Go all the way back to 1619 or however far back you want to go, like pyramids and civilizations found in the 1300s in 199, was it 990 AD? Civilizations in Mexico, well, it was all America, first of all, Mm -hmm. and in Mexico and then in Chicago, like the Chicago area. 
they were all bronze people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, they weren't white. Right. When they came over here, all these slave owners and, you know, doesn't really make sense for all of these statues to be up around America, like along the slave trade lines. Probably not. It's not going to make us feel any better. Right. You know, and and, and I got to admit, like to a certain degree and to a certain point, we just become numb to it. But this particular time during the pandemic, it just hits a little differently and everybody understands it, right. understands it differently. Yeah. And everybody's acting super surprised, like, like, I can't believe this is going on and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, ask about the history of, of, of your people and your family. Like mm-hmm. the, the reality is, is we don't even know where we come from. Mm-hmm. We, we can go to Ancestry.com all we want to and they can lie to us then. Right. You know what I'm saying? My last name is Johnson. How many President Johnsons have there been in office of the President of the United States? So I know that my name didn't come from no African heritage. It came right. from a slave owner. Yeah. And passed down through generations. Like you, we just gotta think logically. And if you were to put in that position, like if if I don't know if you're married or you have a girlfriend or daughter or whatever. Married, yeah. Yeah, and you, and you you guys are put in the position to where you become slaves and they press religion on you, their religion, you know, Christianity and Catholicism, they push that on you. Who knows what our religion was? Who knows what we practiced back in the day with our ancestors? I'm going to say it was somewhere along the lines of, you know, loving and compassion because just by nature we're compassionate people and very forgiving mm-hmm. which is why things just keep happening over and over and over and over and over again and we'll just be like dang that sucks god bless the families of those involved we got to do better and then we're off on the next tour right or we're off to the next gig like we we have to understand what's actually happening and what's going on in our communities ourselves and the the change, the going back to the original question, what can we do to change that? Is is education? All my white brothers and sisters need to educate themselves on why this systemic problem keeps happening at every level, at trade from Trader Joe's all the way to the White House, mm-hmm. from Starbucks all the way to the judicial system, like. It's happening right in front of our eyes. And if you don't see it and you don't witness it, I understand. But you got an iPhone or you have some kind of smart device. There's YouTube. There's Instagram. There's Twitter. Those things don't lie. The media can't control social media. They only can control CNN, NBC, Fox Network. all All of these media outlets will make you believe what you believe, like when they started looting and rioting, did you understand that it was a white militia that was going around burning these buildings down right. or creating, you know, certain instances and in where, oh, shoot, here's a boulder. I can throw it at, at a cop car. Mm-hmm. Like, um, we're not carrying no damn hammers through right. a protest. Well, and there was like, I guess there was some some areas where they had like placed bricks. You they know, placed bricks in the middle of, of a, a protest site. Right. Like a stack of properly stacked bricks. Yeah. And I think I think with the the media for me, like I can't watch the news because I can't take 
I can't take the sensationalism and I can't take the headline readers who share stories on both sides that are false. Right. So like it's, you know, they'll, they'll just pick a headline and send it. And it's like, well, that's actually not what happened. Right. And it doesn't do, it doesn't do well for, for either side of, of the debate uh, for, for people who are like opposing, you know, opposing equality and all those things where like, I feel like if that's how you feel, then you have, you should go see a doctor. But, um, so the sensationalism is what I can't take. So I, if I, I always wish that there was, you know, reliable ways to, to get information about what's going on in the world. Um, and so that people can be properly educated because I don't think the way to educate people is like through anger and getting people like riled up and like getting, you know, uh, I, I, I don't think that that, I don't think that helps. Um, but it's also like these conversations are, are difficult to have, you know? So they, they, they are difficult. They, they difficult and they are, <laughs> I had a, a, it was called their voice, our choice on Sabian. It was on Sabian's Facebook live. And it was myself, Will Calhoun, and Jameson Ross talking about our experiences with not only just being black in America, but specifically police brutality. And we all had different outlooks and outtakes on it. You know, like, I'm not sure if you even understand that. You know, I'm not sure what you have done, you know, in your past or what your family has done or specifically or what you guys have said behind closed doors this that and the third none of that matters anymore to me to Mm -hmm. me it it doesn't matter what matters is is you being genuine enough to say there is a problem and i need to stand against this as well if somebody in my family feels this way um i have to educate them and if they don't understand it then i i really can't fuck with you like Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying that's that's just that's just where I'm at with it. I will have every conversation with you that I can. Like just listening to the radio. You know, they have this segment on Breakfast Club where they where it says, uh, get it off your chest. And this white lady calls and says, Well, there are white people that are being killed by cops as well. It's like, okay, I understand that. But we're not talking about, you know, an overall problem, like just like this COVID nineteen thing. Everybody that dies in a hospital it's registered under COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Why is it under COVID-19? It's just another way to control the narrative. It's another way to control people. You know, it's another way to control that. Th- and that's how this country was built. It was built on control and money, mm-hmm. control for money. You know, so like if, if you've done that and you see it, you know, you got to address it and it, and it takes a risk and it's scary for some white people. You know, it's scary for some for for some people to address it, acknowledge it, and educate their own. Like mm-hmm. I'm not I'm telling you right now like if there was a change, any change, immediate change that we can make is educating ourselves about what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. What's actually happening and the other thing, I'm joining an initiative, you know, making sure people are registered to vote not only for the president Police chief, the district attorneys, and the well, not the district attorney, but the mayor. Mayors, um, 
like the mayor in Minneapolis. He was appointed. He was an appointed mayor, so he held no he held no power. Mm-hmm. You know, in other in other states, um, the mayor is voted on, and then the mayor selects the district attorney. So now we have to focus on voting that right mayor in, mm-hmm. voting that right governor in, voting these right judges in, police chiefs. You know, if it's about um, prison reform and, you know, trying to to even and legalize the playing field for all people, like like justice for all, like y'all say, then let's just make it for all people. Mm-hmm. But we got to do our part as well. So I'm definitely um, pushing this initiative. It's called VoteQuadrant.com. Uh, this guy named Mike Muse uh, found him on Instagram and it educates us on the roles of each of those I I, um, I called out, the district attorney, the mayor, police chief, or commissioner, mm-hmm. and the judges. That's how we can get immediate change within the judicial system in the black community. So if our white brothers and sisters want to join us in this initiative to vote all these local governments, all the crooked people, the people that we don't usually care about, we only vote during the presidency time, Mm-hmm. Um, join us. Let's figure out what we can do as a collective. Because, like I said, we're still the most compassionate and the most forgiving people ever. Right. Ever. Like, we'll, it doesn't matter how we feel about all of these people getting killed in the street. We will forgive you. Mm-hmm. And 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 then we will. No, I don't want to say forget about it, but we'll just let it pass because it's it's the normal. Right. And the normal isn't working anymore. And mm-hmm. if we keep depending on the judicial system to change to suit us without doing anything, and we our kids are gonna keep are go, are gonna go through this. Yeah. And I you know, I always hear the argument, well, if if people want something to be better for themselves, then they got to do it themselves. And and on one side, I agree that yeah, black people statistically don't vote, and they they should. Um, but the uh, but this is I to me, I'm like this is our problem. This is white people's problem to fix. We're the it's it's our it's our doing that is that started all of this, right? Yeah. So it's it's like. You know, you can't you can't say you can't say just stop being oppressed. And it's like, no, the white people have to stop being the oppressors. Yeah, that's absolutely it's our problem to solve. And, you know, and it's I think it's hard because, like you said, it is scary for for some white people. And they're like, I don't want things to change. I would I like my life how it is. And I, I like so not only do we have to like as white people who want this change, we have to fight against those people to get to sort of get them out of, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you get people to, to stop thinking that way or to, to, to get them to, cause you're, you know, I feel like you're not going to get a lot of people to change their ways. So the good has to outweigh the bad, you know, it has to, and intent matters. Mm-hmm. So if your heart, if your heart is, is pure and your, your intentions are pure as far as like trying to, or you being willing to get in this fight, then I have no problem with that. All the superficial stuff, like, you know what I mean? Black Lives Matter and we, you know, white people marching and doing all of this stuff. I understand it. I get it. Do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. We've been doing that since the 60s. Mm-hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? Like less. And it, it helped in the 60s. It, you know, like there was a lot of good that came out of the civil rights movement. I I, I would beg to differ only because it's yeah. still happening. Okay. You, you know what I'm saying? Like the civil rights movement had nothing to do with the advancement of black people. It was like they we're we're going to make them believe that we're changing. Mm. We're we're going to lead them to believe that we're changing. Have you seen uh, 13th Amendment? No, I'm watching. I'm, I'm planning on watching it this weekend. Though. You got to watch it this weekend and watch it with all of your friends, family and, and whoever else. Like it's just put in a different way. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, that's like uh, like your child. You know, mm-hmm. like like I don't want my child to be a part of this particular sport. Or I don't want my child involved in music, you know, and then you, you kind of figure out and finagle a way for them to still be a part of it. But they're not. Right. You just make right. it look you just make it look different. Like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to we're actually going to go and do this. But there is like music happening or there is a band happening. It's like I don't want nothing to do with music. I, like, leave me alone about it. And you're still tr- just trying to figure it out. And try mm-hmm. and present it in a different way. It's the same thing. It's systemic, you yeah. know, and it's and it's 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 financial based and it's money based. It's about wealth. I have more than you, and as long as I have more than you, and that don't even has to come to do with money. That's just an opportunity. Yeah, that's just an opportunity. You know, affirmative action was bullshit. That's mm-hmm. it's disrespect. I ne- right? I was never I was never a fan of. Affirmative action, and I remember my mom's. Uh, my mom worked at a, at a big investment company, and they had this. Um, they had a like a diversity department, right? Yeah. And then they would they would get they would do this whole speech like they would go out and were like, oh, we're all the same, and like we're all human, and all this stuff. And then they're like, and then here's the Chinese men of business, and here's like the the African American women of this, and and I'm like, this doesn't this seems like division, not inclusion. It's like we're all we're all the same. And then it's like, so let's and I guess the point was to like celebrate each person's individuality as part of the the greater uh, melting pot of America. But it just didn't do a good job at it. I was like, this is basically just saying you're different and you're different and I'm different and this person's different. And I don't know, again, like same thing with affirmative action. I thought it was bullshit. I think it's like all I think it's like PR bullshit. Yes, this is like all these white business owners. You know, Fortune 500 companies that are systemically keeping my community down, mm-hmm. like pumping in the drugs and alcohol and getting people hooked on certain things. And like, we don't have money for rehab. Yeah. You know, we don't have money for, you know, cleaning ourselves up. We can't resist the temptation because there's no other hope that we see. Right. You know, I've, in our I've said it all the neighborhood. Like- I'm like my wife works in marketing and I'm like I'm involved with marketing because of the podcast and all that kind of stuff. But like I watch I watch commercials every day and it's like, where's the where who's the the worst food in the country targeted towards? It's not targeted towards white people. Like if you look at all the like any anything that's like uh, lower tiered products or services or anything like that. It's not geared towards, it's not targeted towards white people, Nope. you know? And I agree with you on that, that it's like, keep people, you know, if you, if you keep people 
if you keep people addicted and you keep them uneducated and you keep them unhealthy, then you control them. Name name one thing. Name one thing that originated that we still use or eat or see today that came from white people in America. One thing original. Let's just say food. Right. Name one thing that that was made in America came from America, like the American culture. Right. I don't know. Hamburger. Where's the hamburger from? Germany. Yeah. Hot dog, uh, Germany, pizza, yeah. Italy, yeah, pasta, Italy, Jamaican food, Jamaica, yeah, Indian food, yeah, you know what I mean? No, I, I, I'm, I agree with you. So I, even, like, that's and that's what I'm saying. The, these are the logical things that we need to think about. Does it really make sense? There's nothing originated from this country. So how could someone come over here? And establish like, oh, I discovered this new land. I discovered this, right? But I'm gonna right. have I'm I'm a, I'm gonna have dinner with these, you know, this village over here, and we're gonna get cool with them, and we're gonna get buddy buddy, and we're gonna kill all the men, rape all the women, you know, and make sure that they do what we're asking them to do. They're gonna build us this. They're gonna build us that, and mm-hmm. we're gonna own everything. I've said that before. How do you discover something when someone's already there? Somebody I'm going to go to San Diego and be like, I just discovered San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And all of these, all of these books, they teach the curriculum all the way across the nation, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, oh, and Christopher Columbus came yeah. over and, and made, and, you know, made friends with, uh, made friends with the Indians and they had a nice dinner together and everything. It's like. Come on. You're a kid. you're a kid. Like right. how you're not gonna ask that question unless right. you know your parents are beating that down into your head from the time you can understand, you know, from two, three, four, five, six year old. You know, like okay, well if he sat down with the Indians and how did he discover anything? They were already right. here. They were already here. Did he? Did they bring the Indians over with him? Like that, that doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. And I'm not laughing because it's funny. No, no, I'm no, no, because no. of like how ridiculous it is. Absolutely, absolutely. I understand. I agree with you. You know, and that's I wonder about like what are they going to do about what are they going to do about Thanksgiving? You know, like should Thanksgiving even be a holiday? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving turned into a social holiday for the black community. You know, yeah. there was time off from work. You didn't. You know, if you were working a regular job, you could have time off. You could you were able to fly to your hometown and be with your family. Like, that's how we looked at it. We understand and recognize what Thanksgiving is and what it means. It's not for us. Right. Right. You know, like all through sports, I look at sports differently. I look at the music business differently. Like, because everybody, everybody that owns all of this stuff are white. Yeah. And if we're depending, and and this is just for whoever is listening, that's black. You know, if we're depending on, you know, people in America to change their minds about how we feel, you know, or how they feel about us, we're fighting a losing battle. If mm-hmm. we keep, if we depend on uh, white people, um, just thinking about like, you know, what we need to do something. Like, if we are depending on that, 
we're fighting a losing battle. We have to do this ourselves. And if you guys join us, then cool. Like we can't be mad at that, but we can't depend on that because we've been depending on that for however long. Like maybe he won't with me today. Yeah. You know, because I didn't bring in a hundred pounds of cotton. Mm -hmm. Maybe he won't rape my, my daughter because she fell asleep and she didn't want to go to church. Like our slaves were forced to go to church. Were forced to to praise a white Jesus. Was forced to practice and only read whatever they gave us. We were strategically and systematically created in in, in those instances in slavery to be as dumb and unknowledgeable as we could be. Mm-hmm. Thinking it's about one thing and it's about a whole another thing. It's manipulation, you know. It's it, to the to the highest degree. And it's still happening, which is why I disagree with you when you say that didn't the civil rights movement work? Like, no, it didn't. The I didn't necessarily say that it worked. Not, I felt like it moved. It it was a little it, bit of progress. It was a little bit of progress, and I and I I like I said I did I disagree with you because it's yeah. still happening. That makes sense. So where where do you where are the places that we want people to go? Uh, you said votequadrant.com. Vote Check quadrant. out the 13th com, Amendment. Yes. Check uh, out 13th Amendment on Netflix. Um, if you're following me on Instagram or Twitter, I am constantly posting um, black businesses um, that can be supported by our own community and and you guys as well. You mm-hmm. know, um working on a database to create a um, some sort of something like black businesses in your town. Like I'm going to stop putting my black dollars in these super rich companies that, you know, that don't give a shit. Right. About me. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to waste my time and money trying to look good and be, you know, for this facade of, of whatever it is. Like I, I, I'm not on that. I really don't care about that anymore. And it's a lot of us that feel that way. It's like, we need to put our black dollars back in our community. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to find because a lot of black businesses are still owned by white people. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? So it's a fight. It's a fight that we're we're behind the eight ball 400 years. Yeah. So if we're trying to see immediate change, I don't think that's going to happen. It's going to be a process. But as far as what we can do now is we can change. We can look at ourselves in the mirror, black or white. Understand what's happening and fix what we're doing within ourselves. Change our mindset, our own minds, figuring out a way to systematically help situations like these because there are a lot of white people that are in position to help they're just afraid of losing their status or losing friends or losing contributors or losing you know so on and so forth Mm -hmm. like we have to stop doing that we got to stop doing that yeah change ourselves change what we're doing and maybe you can be a better influence to your white brother or sister or family or whatever to to want to change, I don't want to say change their mind, but let them see it differently. Right. Like I see so many people, even in sports, talking about the Colin Kaepernick situation. Man, I thought the the whole kneeling was about disrespecting the flag. It's like, 
Nobody no. is dis- nobody's disrespecting the flag because everybody. My dad was in the military. Mm-hmm. You know, I had uncles in the military. Like that flag ain't even for us. It ain't about us. But that is the time in every game. Every game, the national anthem. I don't care what sporting event it is. National anthem is gonna be sang. Yep. Without the second verse, which talks about slaves and us. You know what I'm saying? So that is the perfect time to make a peaceful protest and get on a, get on a knee. Mm-hmm. It's going to bring attention to it. And they're like, I thought it was about the flag the whole time. But when it was actually about police brutality and systematic racism, like. Now you get it. Like, so yeah. now that you get it, use your platform, use your voice to do whatever it is that you can do to advance our people, like, period. That's it. Yeah. That's wise advice, man. And and I agree. Like, I think, you know, I don't think it happens overnight, but but it has to happen and it has to it has to uh, it has to start locally. And, and we go from there. Whatever, whatever color you are. You cannot change an evil heart. Mm-hmm. I believe there are a lot of evil people in this world. And changing the heart and mind of an evil person is damn near impossible. Yeah. Which is why they think that Donald Trump is a clone. Like <laughs> there's two there's two Donald Trumps. One that wears a, a red tie and one that wears a blue tie. The one that wears the red tie says all this outlandish shit. You know, and and is pumping up, you know, that I wouldn't doubt it. I believe clones exist. I believe aliens exist. I believe all of this Area 51. I believe it's stuff down there that that nobody knows about. Yeah. That is scared to get out. I don't know if I can buy into there's a clone running the country, but I mean, I believe that there are aliens and I believe in I believe there are. I don't know. I I I could be wrong. I don't know. I believe that there are clones. I honestly do. I believe that there are clones. I don't know if we have one running our country, but I I wouldn't put anything past this country in this world. And and that's that's what we got to break, too. We can't be naive to this stuff. Right. We got to we got to have an open mind. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. That's that's better. Yeah. If we're wrong, it's better. For sure. Like the whole thing about Bill Gates and the sex trafficking rings and every all these stars and people that are in position that are a part of and, and actually are about to get sued and a whole list of people, you know, like giving up their executive seats in these companies, like, because the shit is about to hit the fan mm-hmm. and they don't want to be attached to it. So I, I don't put nothing past anybody. Yeah. Me neither. You know me what me I'm neither. saying? So, I'm not surprised anymore by anything. By nothing. So when it comes down to somebody that's, that continues to juice a certain particular you know, section of people that continues to put batteries in their back, as we say, you know, that's not, that's not going to help either. Mm-hmm. You know, we got, we need to learn how to separate the two. Yeah. If I, I have agree. five, if I have $500 million, like what am I going to do with $500 million myself? Like I'm by myself, mm-hmm. no family, no nothing. Okay, I'll donate one million dollars to the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. I have four hundred and ninety-nine million dollars left. <laughs> right. What are you gonna do with all that money? I don't need to. F- 
I can buy a whole bunch of real estate and everybody that's homeless and wants to change their their trajectory in life, come stay at this rehab center. Full room and board till you get on your feet. We're going to get you a job. We're going to get you out of the system. We're going to like create. That's helping people. Mm-hmm. And it's not only black people that's homeless. Right. You know, there's parts of the country where they're white ghettos. You know, there there are people that are living in trailer parks. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, if if everybody had a heart for the people or like with us, if we had money like that, we are the most compassionate, which is why we don't. It's about control. We're not trying to control anybody. We want everybody to be happy. Right. If if you go to my auntie house, she going to make sure you eat. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? If If you go to my uncle house... We're going to go outside. We're going to talk about sports. We're going to drink a beer. We're going to smoke. We're going to do whatever to chill. Like, if you if you needed a place to stay, all right, well, here's a couch. There's a shower. Probably roll up to Walmart real quick, get some <laughs> change of clothes for you. Yeah. Like, that's how we are. Like, genuinely, to heart. You know what I mean? So, if, if, I, if I have $500 million, I'm going to make sure that there's change created somewhere, and I'm not going to need no politician for that. Yeah, you know. Sure. So that that's just the wave I'm on. I know I t- I talk a lot, bro. It's been about no, an hour, I, this is, almost and a half is, or something. No, this is great. I mean, I think that these are things that that need that need to be talked about for sure. And I could I could talk to you for three more hours about this. Um, but I want to make sure that one people go to votequadrant.com. They check out the Thirteenth Amendment. A documentary on Netflix. Go to BlackLivesMatter.com to see other ways that you could participate, and also follow you on Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, Johnson out at Johnson out J O H N S O N O U T. So, and Chris is always posting stuff about about change in this country that needs to happen. And Chris, I want to thank you for coming on, not only to share your your drumming knowledge, but also to share. Uh, your your thoughts and perspective and helping educate everyone on everything that's going on in this country. It's Again, it's important to have these conversations. And the more we have these conversations, then the more things can change and the more quickly they can change. So I appreciate you uh, be, being open to coming on and, and having this open dialogue with me. It's my pleasure, man. If anybody wants to hit me up, DM or whatever, to talk over more stuff, like all the foolishness or you you know, not seeing a different perspective of, you know, you growing up in a white community or you're, you're or not uh, witnessing racism or, you know, racial inequality in the workplace or, you know, wherever you at. Like, if you want to have these conversations, cool. Like, if you if you want to push all lives matter, that's cool, too. But Black Lives Matter right now, I don't see anybody on video being strangled or shot in the back. You know, I do see white people running, you know, from the cops, punching cops, stealing cop cars and, you know, shooting up churches. You know, and you get a a slap on the wrist and they take you to Burger King so you can have something to eat. You know, there's 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 a difference. It's obvious. We need to address it and we need to make sure that we're doing something about it. We got to do it right now. I yeah, agree. I right now. Chris, thank you, man. I appreciate you. Stay safe and, and let's keep in touch. I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, brother. Of course. Peace.
there you have it. Chris Johnson. You can get the show notes at drummersresource.com forward slash 570. And also, again, if you dig the podcast, please leave a rating, leave a review. You can do that on iTunes. It takes about a minute and lets people know that they should be listening to this podcast. And if you're not on the mailing list, check that out. Just go to drummersresource.com. You can sign up. I also have another mailing list called Nick's Monday Mix. I wanted to separate Drummer's Resource from my other stuff that's going on. If you want to sign up for Nick's Monday Mix, that's just nickruffini.com forward slash mix. But either way, uh, sign up for one of them, sign up for both of them. That'll keep you in tune with what's going on, new releases, new podcasts, things that I'm reading, things that I'm checking out. Uh, So you can do all that either at nickruffini.com forward slash mix or just go to Drummer's Resource and sign up there. And I feel like I'm talking a lot, so I'm going to stop. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com. We'll